Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. So um, this morning I want to um, share a bit around, um, around Genesis chapter 4, the well-known story of Cain and Abel. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord that... Um, <clears throat> That we'll uh, yeah, really experience, on the one hand, his challenge, but also his encouragement and his grace uh, as, as, we, as we study his word together. So, um, oh, before I forget, afterwards we're also going to have a baptism on that side, if you go out that door, after the service. So, uh, a couple of people are going to be baptized, and um, so please join us if you can for, for, for that after the service. Um, I've noticed sort of a tendency, our, our children, uh, Justin, our son, uh, Kirsten, our daughter, uh, you know, we, we've, we sort of, we, we really enjoy music, both Rochelle and I, um, and we're relatively musical, and it, it's, it's, it's just such a wonderful gift and such a wonderful way to be able to express yourself, your creativity and your worship to God and all that kind of stuff. So um, we, we sort of encourage them. You see how I use the euphemism there? Uh, we, we encourage them to, to also pursue um, you know, music and learn music. So they, they play piano, and uh, we send them to, to Randburg High. There's a wonderful, actually, music school there. So they're learning piano there, and uh, they did it at Stetford a couple of weeks ago, uh, playing some songs. Justin also does some drums, and we have like an old second-hand drum set in the house, uh, acoustic set, so it makes a lot of noise when he practices. But I've, I've sort of noticed the tendency that, um, and, I, and, and this is not, you know, unique to my children. It's, it's universal. It's for all of us. But they tend to commit just enough. <laughs> you know, Justin will always ask me when I say to him, Justin, have you practiced your music yet? Then he always asks, how long must I practice? <laughs> In other words, what's the bare minimum I can get away with? <laughs> Usually what happens is, actually, let me just correct. Usually what happens is he says, Dad, can I play on your iPad? And then I say, have you done your homework? Have you practiced your music? <laughs> and then he's like, no, how long must I practice? And then he starts negotiating. You know, so, and, and the reality is we're like that as human beings. We want to know what's the bare minimum we can get away with. We're actually often hesitant or careful to, to commit too much. But... Here's the problem. Um, if you're afraid to give too much, you'll always give too little. If you're afraid to overcommit, you'll always undercommit. And you'll never reach your full potential or experience the full benefit of anything unless you fully commit to it. And, and especially in our lives with, with God, our relationships with God. You know, I've, I've heard, I mean, South Africa is a... A Christianized country, I think close to 80% of South Africans will self-identify as Christians on, on the national census um, forms and stuff. They'll say we're Christian. Um, but we know that many, if not most, of those people who identify as Christians are actually nominal Christians. They, they're Christians in name, but not you know, in their everyday life. And, and often I've heard nominal Christians verbalize it in this way. Um, They'll say, I, I'm a Christian, but not a disciple. As though 
You can be a Christian without being a disciple. You know, as though being a disciple is like, being a Christian is like, you know, that you, if you're born in a Christian home and you sometimes go to church and read your Bible and so on. But if you like become radical, then you become a disciple. <laughs> but, but we're not radical. I'm, I'm, I'm not radical. I'm just a normal Christian. I'm not like a radical, over-the-top, crazy Christian. Okay? In other words, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, 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 I'm actively guarding against being overcommitted <laughs> as a Christian. But the problem is, if you're afraid to overcommit as a Christian, you'll always undercommit. If you're afraid to overcommit to God, you'll always undercommit to Him. And, and that is the, um, the main thing I just want us to see in this story of Cain and Abel when I'm going to read it now. Because Cain is such a person. Cain is such a person. Uh, and the reality is, like Cain, we tend to dabble in religion. We want just enough religion to soothe our consciences and make us feel better and get a f- get out of jail free ticket. That's what we want as human beings that, in our natural state. That if 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 left to ourselves, we'll 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 do only just enough. We'll also ask, how much is 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 the minimum I can get away with? Um, that that that's our natural human tendency. Okay. Um, we'll, 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 we'll say, um, I, I, want to, I want to be a Christian. I want to commit to God. I want to, uh, yeah, I, I want to commit to God, but I, I don't want to overcommit. I, I don't want to give too much. I, I, don't, want to, um, I, I don't want to be too radical. Um, you know the story about the, you know, the difference between the, 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 the pig and the chicken? The chicken was, um, the chicken contributed to breakfast. The pig was committed <laughs> to breakfast. If you think about the bacon and the eggs. So, so, so what, what we often say without saying it is that we want to be chickens, not pigs. Now, let me just face up here. God has been speaking to me about this topic for months. And I can very easily say, yeah, you know, I know why God's speaking to me. It's because of these, these church members of mine. God is wanting me to, to preach to them and to get them to commit more, you know, to really, like, commit, you know, to the Lord and so on. But I know that's not true. I know God's speaking to me because I need to commit more. Um, I'm not as committed as I should be, and I'm not even as committed as I'd like to be. Uh, and, and I think Christianity is... Um, a constant journey of committing more and more to the Lord. Because as you walk with the Lord, you discover areas in your life where you thought you were committed to the Lord, but then you realize, okay, I wasn't really as committed as I thought I was. And, and it's a constant journey. Uh, Martin Luther said the whole of the Christian life is repentance. Um, but... What he meant by that is it's a constant discovery of areas of your life in which you are actually undercommitted to the Lord and then you repent and you commit more. And, and so we should be constantly on the lookout in our lives of, for areas where we need to surrender more and more and more to the Lord, more deeply and more thoroughly to the Lord. And, and why I, I said you know, that I need to fess up and you know, this, is, this applies to me is because I'm not sharing out of a position of having arrived. I don't, think, I don't think anyone can say in this, 
in, in, in regard to this topic that I have arrived. I, I am like fully committed to the Lord. Um, so I'm not sharing out of a place of having arrived. I'm, I'm sharing as someone who's on the journey like all of us in this. Okay, so let's, let's read this portion. Um, so the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4 shows us the contrast between two brothers, one who was fully committed and one who was not. Uh, Genesis 4 verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary for you, but you must rule over it. So, just a few things I want you to see there. Firstly, I want you to see that, in a sense, Cain did commit to the Lord. So it's, it's not like Cain didn't commit to the Lord at all. I mean, after all, he was bringing an offering to the Lord. An offering that clearly cost him something. It was some of the fruit of the soil that, that he'd labored for that he was bringing to the Lord. So, so the problem was not no commitment. We're not looking at someone, at two brothers here, the one committed and the other one didn't commit at all. We're looking at two brothers who both brought offerings to the Lord, who both, and, and, and we're not looking at people who don't know God. We're looking at, at people who are um, bringing offerings. So, so, so there's, there's, if I can call it that, religious activity. But the problem was, one's sacrifice was accepted, the other's was not. One's offering that he brought was accepted, the other one was not. So we see this pattern throughout Scripture. It's not just here with Cain and Abel. Um, for instance, if you think about the Israelites, they committed to the Lord. They made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and said, yes, we will be God's people, we will belong to the Lord. But then every now and again they will also commit to Baal. <laughs> we want to worship God, but we also want to worship Baal. So we're committed to God, but not fully committed to God and not exclusively committed to God. If you think about uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, I'm not going to read it now, but God says, you know, I have a charge to bring against the priests. And, and this is the charge, you know. You guys bring me sacrifices, and you accept sacrifices that are unacceptable sacrifices, that you, the lame, the diseased, you know. And he, then he says, take, take that animal that, that, you know, the, the Israelites bring to you as a sacrifice and, 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 and give it to, to your governor. See if he's pleased, if he'll be happy with that. In other words, God is saying, you guys expect me as God to be happy with a level of commitment that even your human leaders won't be happy with or won't be, uh, be satisfied with. Um, we see the same thing in the New Testament. Let me just mention one example. The parable of the sower is all about four different heart conditions, three of which are not fully committed to the Lord. 
There's the, the remember the, the story about the sower who goes out to sow and some of it falls on the, on the pathway, which is the hard-hearted response. You know, like a, a footpath that, that is hard and the seed can't penetrate and the birds come and pick it up. So the hard-hearted response. Then he says, some fell amongst the stones. And because there were rocks and stones in the soil, it was shallow. And quickly, the plant sprang up. But because there was no depth of soil, there was no depth of commitment, when the sun came up, it scorched the, 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 the plants and they withered and died. And he says, likewise, there are, there are people who are shallow in their commitment to the Lord. They, they receive the gospel because of the benefits of the gospel. They receive it with joy. But then when persecution comes or when hardship comes because of the gospel, they quickly turn away. The, the sort of half-hearted response to the Lord. And then there's the, um, the, the, the seed that falls, falls on, on the thorny ground amongst the thorns and thistles. And the thorns and stuff come up with the wheat and choke it to death and it doesn't uh, bear any fruit. And, and, and then Jesus says, likewise, um, you know, many people, they, they commit to God, but they also still committed to the things of the world, to, to, the, to, to um, the cares of this world, the pride of life, the love of riches, uh, the deceptiveness of, of, of just the, the enticing of this world. So they also committed still to those things. And then those things come up and choke the word of God, and it doesn't bear fruit. And then he says, so, so that's the, the sort of, um, how can you put it? Uh, there's the, the, the hard-hearted um, uh, commitment uh, or hard-hearted response to God. Then there's the, the shallow-hearted um, response to God. Then there's the half-hearted response to God, like the thorns and the thistles. And then there's the whole-hearted response to God, the, the seed that fell on the good soil. And, and it brought forth, forth fruits 30, 60, 100 fold. So this is a theme of throughout Scripture that always there's the invitation to us to commit fully to the Lord. And always there's a struggle in us to commit fully to the Lord as human beings. Um, and we see this, uh, this pattern throughout Scripture. But, but we see that, that God never accepts this level of heart, half-hearted commitment to him. Uh, he's not satisfied with And he says it in, in this passage. He says, if you do well, uh, or in another translation, if you do what is right. If, if you're only half-heartedly committing to the Lord, if we're only half-heartedly committing to the Lord, we're not doing well. We're not doing what is right. And what that implies is that, you know, if God created us, if we belong to him, if, if he created us he, and he gave us everything we have, there's this question Paul asks in, the, in, in Romans. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Can you think of anything that you have that you did not receive? No. In other words, when we give to God, we are only giving back to him. We are only giving back to him what he's given us. When we give our lives to God, when we give our hearts to God, when we give our time to God, when we give the fruit of our labors to God, we are only giving back to him what he has first given to us. And he only, in, in, in many ways, he only requires a portion of that. But, but we, he, wants us, he has given us everything, in other words. So it's right. We only do well and we only do what is right when we give everything to God, uh, back to God. Um, and, and in, in this portion, we see that um, it says in, in, in the course of time, uh, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn 
of his flock and of the fat portion. And, and just reading that verse, you can see that there's a difference between the offering. Both, both brothers brought an offering, but Cain just brought some of the fruit of the ground, while Abel bought the, first, the firstborn, some of the firstborn, some of the fat portions, the best, the first and the best he brought to the Lord. And we can see the quality of the commitment they're making to the Lord and of the offering they're bringing to the Lord is different. God expects us to bring our first and our best to Him. He expects us to bring that to Him. And He's only satisfied with that kind of commitment. Now, why, why couldn't Cain fully commit to God? Let's, let's, just, let's just, just look at the problem. Because our problems as human beings, if I can just hold the picture of an iceberg before you. You know, an iceberg, you know, that massive piece of ice that's drifting in the sea. It says that seven-eighths of an iceberg is actually underwater. One, only one-eighth, I think, is, is above water. Is that right? Something like that. And, and it's the same in our lives. When we see a problem in our lives, we're seeing the one-eighth <laughs> that's above water. But God's Word, the amazing thing about it is that it also goes beyond, beneath the surface. So, so what's beneath the surface of Cain's struggle, which is our universal human struggle to fully commit to the Lord? And both of these are a little subtle, but I just, to me this is one of the, one of the delights of reading Scripture. I mean, especially the book of Genesis. It, it says so much in so little words. It, it, it's... If, if you read it carefully, you'll pick up the subtle truths that it's bringing to us. And when you discover them, they, they're all the more precious for, for, because they were not easy to, to discover. So, so let's, let's look at one. Um, the first one, if you read carefully, it says... Um, let, let me just backtrack and go to the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, the first messianic promise is given... Remember the snake um, sort of deceives Eve and she eats of the fruit and Adam eats of the fruit as well. And then the, the curse uh, comes upon them, upon Adam, Eve, uh, the snake creation. And, and, and God says to, to the woman, um, there'll be enmity between you and the snake and between your seed and, and his seed. Um, he, uh, the seed of the snake will... Bite, the heel, bite your heel, but the, the seed of the woman, there, there'll be a seed of the woman that'll crush the head of the serpent. The first, I think, messianic prophecy, explicitly messianic prophecy in, in, in Scripture. Um, and when, when it says in, in Genesis 4 verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, which is just a, a, a euphemism for, for sexual intercourse, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, and, uh, and, and the word Cain means... Um, having received or acquired or, or gotten. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What it literally says in, in the Hebrew, it, it phrases it slightly differently. It says, with the help of the Lord, I've acquired the man. And it seems like, if you read it carefully, like she thought like he was the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy, that he will be the seed of the which is a natural thought. I mean, they'd receive this promise of the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Now here comes a seed. Here comes a son, and, and, and it's a he, and, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. So, so she probably thought he was this messianic figure. He was the man 
He was the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and possibly he got treated that way. And very subtly, the, the writer signals to us that Cain is pretty self-centered. Notice here. Uh, verse 2 says, And again she bore his brother, Abel. Notice that the whole passage is written from Cain's perspective. It doesn't say she got another son. It says another brother was born to Cain. So it's written from his perspective. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit. And Abel also, you know, sort of almost by the way. Oh, and Abel also, you know, brought something. Um, and then it, it says uh, God had regard for Abel in his offering, but not for Cain in his offering. And then God actually speaks to Cain. And everything narrates, if you're going to read the chapter, it narrates it from Cain's perspective. Cain receives the warning, but then Cain is the one who, who commits the murder. But it's all written actually from his perspective. And you can see very subtly that through that literally devo- literary device of writing from Cain's perspective, the author is signaling to us that Cain saw himself as the hero of the story. I, I remember, and I've mentioned this before, but it, it's, it's really helped me to, to understand people so well. Uh, a guy was teaching about writing, said, if you want to write good characters in fiction, write them as though they are the hero of the story, as, as though in their minds they are the protagonist. Even if you're writing like a, a, a sort of a side character, a supporting character, in their minds, they are going to be the hero of the story. Okay? In their minds, they... Because he said, and he says, I base this on human psychology because all of us as human, uh, humans see ourselves as the protagonist and everyone else as the supporting cast <laughs> in our story. <laughs> and, and, and that's true. As humanity, that is true of us. We see ourselves. We tend to see ourselves as... And clearly that was Cain. So, so here's the thing. The first reason why Cain struggled to commit fully to the Lord was that Cain was already fully committed to someone else. Himself. And all of us have a Cain inside of us that wants to fully commit to us and wants everyone else around us to fully commit to us. All of us have a, have a cane like that, and all of us tend toward that caneness, if I can call it that. Um, and then it says, Cain became angry. When, when he didn't get the results he wanted, he became angry. And, and I think that's so telling, isn't it? The fact that he became can, uh, angry and that his face fell. He became despondent and upset and depressed. It shows you, you become angry when, not just when you, you become frustrated when there's something you want that you don't receive. But when there's something you feel you deserve that you don't receive, you become angry. So it's very telling that Cain became angry. He, he felt that he was doing his part. He felt that he was paying his dues. I mean, one of the things that, that makes me angry, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, is if every month I pay insurance, and then when a time comes to claim, they give me a hassle, and they, and they don't want to pay out. <laughs> am, am I alone in that? <laughs> because you feel like, I'm paying, you know. Every month I'm faithfully paying my insurance, whatever insurance it is, car insurance or health insurance or whatever. But, and, and, and then, you know, when, um, 
when I claim, then all of a sudden they have the cheek to question me and to make it hard for me and they don't want to pay out and they have all kinds of excuses. And you become angry, you know. And here's the thing. So often, like Cain, we treat God as insurance, spiritual insurance. God, I'm paying my dues. I'm making my offerings. I'm coming to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing my part. But you're not doing your part. You see, when you, when you buy insurance, you just make a monthly payment. It doesn't change your life. It doesn't change the way you live. And so often that is what we do with God. We try and treat Him as spiritual insurance. Where we just every, every month make our payment, however that looks. And then we expect Him to, to do a song and a dance for us. So we, we do the bare minimum. But we don't allow God to change our lives. God is not insurance. He's not spiritual insurance. He's God. And he, he, he wants relationship with us. So we see that, that Cain's first problem was that, that he was committed, fully committed to himself. Um, and that, that made it difficult for him to fully commit to God. But there's, there's another problem that he has. Um, if you can just go maybe to, to the scripture of Hebrews 11... The, the, the New Testament writer to the Hebrews actually helps us understand another aspect of Cain's problem. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Have, have you ever wondered why? Because some people struggle with it. They read, uh, you know, when God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So, so what, what did Cain do that was not doing well? And what did Abel do that was doing well? Because clearly Abel was getting it right. So it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. But then you've got to ask yourself the question. Now, the, the New Testament writers... The New Testament, what my New Testament professor used to say, and, and, and when he said that it, it really um, hit home for me, he said the Old Testament, the New Testament is primarily an interpretation and fulfillment of the Old Testament. Okay? The New Testament, don't, the writers don't just make up their own stuff. They're basing everything on the Old Testament, and they, they're responsibly interpreting the Old Testament. Yet the word faith, in Genesis 4, we read it, the word faith is not even mentioned there. So where does this writer to the Hebrews get Abel's faith? What, 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 how is he interpreting Scripture in such a way that he can see faith in there? And I, I remember I struggled with this until I saw, I noticed that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, but, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. What's the difference between just a normal offering and an offering of firstborn of, or first fruit? When you bring the firstborn, it means that you bring the, an offering. You know, maybe you have two sheep that are born, uh, or a sheep that is born, and it's the firstborn. You don't know how many sheep are still going to be born, or if any other sheep are going to be born. So when you bring that firstborn, you bring it by faith, because you don't know even what proportion of your flock that's going to be. So bringing the firstborn is by definition an act of faith. And if Cain had brought of the first fruit of his harvest, 
He would have brought the first without knowing how big the whole harvest is going to be. That would have been an act of faith. But that is exactly what he didn't do. In other words, the big difference between Cain and Abel was their faith. Abel trusted God. He said, I don't know how many sheep are going to be born or if any more sheep are going to be born, but what has been born, I'm going to give to God. It's my first and my best, and I'm going to give it by faith. In other words, um, it takes faith to give first fruits. It takes faith to give first, first fruits, faith in God, trust in God. And therefore, it also takes trust to fully commit to God. You cannot fully commit to God without trusting Him. And we know that's true. In act, any kind of level of commitment is an act of trust. But it takes a lot of trust to fully commit to someone, to give yourself. I mean, when, if, you're, if you're single and you put yourself out there and you know, pursue someone, it's an act of faith in that person. Because, <laughs> because you have to trust that, that that person's not going to reject you. That it's not going to be unrequited love, you know. That, that, that you're not going to have your heart broken. So it, it's an act of faith when you commit to that person. And, and likewise, when we, if we want to fully commit to God, we need to learn to fully trust God. In fact, the more we can trust God, the more we are able to commit to Him. Because the more we trust God, the more we're going to say... I know God. I know what kind of God He is. I know that it's safe to commit to Him. It's safe to fully commit to Him. I don't have to hold back. So, those two problems, um, Cain was already fully committed to someone else, to himself, and, and, and Cain lacked the faith, the trust in God to fully commit to God. So, what, what's the solution um, the first solution is to see that, that we need to fully commit to God because He deserves it. He's God after all. He deserves nothing less than everything we have to give. We sang about this this morning in, 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 the, in the worship songs. Um, whatever we give to Him, we are only giving back to Him. And in other words, we're recognizing that anything I give to God is he, He's already first given to me. So per definition, my commitment to God can never exceed God's commitment to me. But this alone is not strong enough reason to help us. If I just told you, fully commit to God because He deserves it, I would be right, but it wouldn't be helpful. Because that reason, we, even though we know it's true, it's not enough to soften our hearts and melt our hearts and, and, and draw us into a deeper commitment to God. We need better reasons than that. And, and that's the second part of the reason I want to give you. And, and, and that's the part that this passage hints at and that we see full, more fully developed in the rest of Scripture and especially in the New Testament in the Gospel. And it's this. Not only should we fully commit to God because He deserves it, but we should fully commit to God because God fully commits to us. Do you realize that? That God fully commits to you? Because this word, when, he, when, when, uh, when it says that Abel, um, and Abel in verse 4, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, Jesus is the firstborn. 
And when God had to give the ultimate sacrifice, he gave his firstborn. And it, it's interesting that that was signaled throughout Scripture, not only here with the mention of the firstborn sacrifice that Abel gives, but also Abraham giving his son Isaac. Also the firstborn in terms of um, the, the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And every firstborn in Israel having to be redeemed and dedicated to the Lord. And all of that was just signaling that when the time came for God to make the ultimate sacrifice, He would give His firstborn. He would give His only begotten Son, Jesus. In other words, when God has to make an offering, because we, we read about Cain and Abel making offerings here, but when God has to make an offering... He doesn't hold back. He gives his very best. And, and that tells us, because here's the thing, we, we, we are afraid to overcommit, to overextend ourselves, to overcommit. We, we, we often do that in our relationships where we don't commit fully to one another because we're afraid the other person's not going to commit as much back to us. Okay, that, that's, or at least that's our natural tendency. Sometimes we do manage to overcome that, praise God. But that's, that's our natural tendency. We're afraid to overcommit lest the other person um, undercommits. But we, we see here that we are, in our relationship with God, never in danger of committing more, more than Him. God is so fully committed to us that even our best efforts won't match what He does and what He has done for us in terms of His commitment to us. And the good news is that the more convinced you are that someone is fully committed to you, the easier it is for you to fully commit to them. Isn't that so? Because the question we have is, is it safe to fully commit to God? Is it safe to fully commit to Jesus? And the biblical answer, especially the gospel answer, is a resounding yes. He has already been fully committing to you all along. And he's just waiting for you to realize that and become convinced of that so that you can feel safe to fully commit to him. He took the risk of fully committing to us when he knew full well that we were unable to fully commit to him. And such a God... With such a God who is so generous and so radical in His commitment to us, it's always completely safe to fully commit to Him. In fact, I want to go a step further and say that... Um, let, me, let me put it this way. Even when we know that God is fully committed to us, in, in our hearts and minds, we, we sometimes want to downplay that because God's commitment to us actually scares us, if we're honest. I remember a story I heard about a, a woman that, that uh, spoke to a preacher, and, and she, was a, uh, she sort of came from a nominal Christian background, but she, she didn't want to really be a Christian. And, and he was sharing the gospel with her that, that, that Jesus basically died for our sins so that we don't have to earn our salvation. And that there's actually no contribution that we make to our salvation. I mean, what Jonathan Edwards say, says, he says, the Christian contributes nothing to his salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. And when she heard that, she just said, 
no, I, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to accept that. And, and the guy said to her, why not? And then she said, because if God gave everything to me, if, if, he, if he did everything required for my salvation and I make no contribution to my salvation through my good works and through my deservedness and my earning, then there's no limit to the commitment God can require from me. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I'm sorry. That scares me. And, and that is true. When we admit to ourselves and when we acknowledge to ourselves how much God has committed to us and, and that we've made no... Con- we lose all bargaining power. We cannot say, God, but I at least made this contribution. We cannot bargain with God anymore. And, and if He has given everything, then He can require everything from us. And we shouldn't complain about it. And that scares us a bit. That scares us a bit. But it also comforts us. If we understand it in the right way, it comforts us greatly. So, how should we respond? We should respond by saying, by working on our hearts, which like Cain's tend to be self-centered, fully committed to ourselves at the expense of everyone else, and we should uh, trust the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts to, to have faith in God, to trust God enough to feel safe to fully commit to Him by ministering the gospel to our hearts. God has given His firstborn for us. He's given His best to us. Jesus has given Himself fully for us. If, if Jesus is that fully committed to us, then it's safe for us to fully commit to, to Him. And we should convince our hearts of that reality and of that truth. In other words, we must fully commit to the right things. Now, um, let me take it a step further and, and just say that it's actually unsafe to not fully commit to God. You see, I've seen this many times and so have you. If, if you just go to church and you just treat religion the way Cain is, I'm going to do the bare minimum in order to get the benefits from God, but not give myself fully, not commit myself fully, then eventually you become inoculated by religion and by the gospel. It's, it's like, you know what, what, um, what immunization is, is when, when you receive, when you, when, you, when you get infected with a certain disease, but you don't get enough of the disease to kill you, but then you become inoculated against it, you become immunized against it, you become resistant to it. Okay? And... We can be like that with the gospel, where we get just enough gospel. Not enough to change our lives, but just enough to immunize us against its truth, to harden us against it and make us resistant to the gospel. And that's a great danger. You see, if, if God cuts at your heart, as maybe He's doing with some of you this morning, as He's certainly doing with me, if God cuts you to the heart... Remember it says in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what must we do? If God cuts at your heart and you don't respond, what happens? That cut grows closed and it grows calloused. It makes scar tissue, which no longer sensitive and no longer feels. So next time God cuts at your heart, you don't feel it as much. You become resistant to it. It's actually very unsafe to not fully commit to God and to his gospel. 
Um, so, just three effects I want to mention in closing of this. The first is commitment breeds commitment, and lack of commitment breeds lack of commitment. So your commitment does not only influence you, it also influences the people around you. Look at Adam and Eve. They clearly had a lack of commitment to God. They chose the fruit above God's command and and the temptations of the snake above God's word. Right? What was the result? They had children who weren't fully committed to the Lord, just like them. Okay? So our level of commitment, here's the thing, our level of commitment, or lack thereof, will either encourage commitment in others or discourage commitment in others. Your commitment to God, does it inspire others to be more committed to Him? Your commitment to God's church, does it inspire others to commit to His church? Or does it discourage others? You see, in terms of small group, we are not immune to each other's commitment. That's what I'm trying to say here. You know, if, if, if I'm in small group and, 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 and Lucas is in small group with me, and, you know, Lucas sees me not being fully committed to small group, I just I don't really take it seriously, then he's also going to be tempted to not take it as seriously. Right? So our commitment or lack thereof inspires either commitment or lack of commitment in others. That's the first thing. So just in terms of, of family and friends, what, do, what, what level of commitment do we want to see in other people, in the people that we love? Are we living the kind of commitment that will inspire commitment in them? That convicts me. We also sometimes tend to be afraid to commit because our reasoning is like this. If, I, if my level, if my capacity to commit is at 10, then if I commit 10 to God, then I'm, going to have, I'm not going to have any more resources to commit to anything else. You know, that, that's sort of our reasoning. Sometimes we don't even recognize it, but well, it's not necessarily a conscious reasoning, but that's the kind of reasoning. I, I don't want to overcommit to one thing because then I have less to commit to something else, as though the amount of commitment you have is, is a fixed, like a, t- a 10. I've, I can give five to family and then five to God, or I can give three to family and, and, and two to God and then the rest to my work. Or I can, you know, I sort of have to, you know, work, you know, spread out my commitment. But that's not how it works. In fact, think about this. And, and when I mention it now, you're going to recognize it as true. If you com- the more you commit to God, if you are fully committed to God, you're actually going to have more that you are able to commit to everything else. And we've seen this happen in people's lives, and we've even seen this happen in our own lives. The more committed you are to God, the more committed you are to family, the more committed you are to your friends, the more committed you are to your work. In other words, fully committing to God, it's not like, okay, I have 10 and I've given all 10 to God and I have no other commitment to anything else. It is through committing to the other things that you also commit to God. God wants you to be a better husband and father and child and employee and employer and friend. So, so when I fully commit to God, I go from having 10 commitment tokens <laughs> to having 50 In other words, when I commit fully to God, I become a better worker. Because now I realize, like 
Colossians 4 says, I'm not only working for my boss, but I'm working as unto, I'm working as unto the Lord. And even when my boss is not watching, God sees me. And I can do my work as worship to Him. So my boss is going to experience a much greater commitment, not even knowing necessarily that it's not primarily to Him, it's to Jesus. Because <laughs> I'm working to Jesus now. Same thing in my family. My family is going to see a greater commitment on my behalf, not, under, not knowing even necessarily that I'm, it's a commitment to Jesus first and foremost, but through Jesus to them. You see, our commitment to God is never a danger to the other things that we ought to commit to. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that we can never fully commit to the things that we ought to, family, work, friends, all those things, unless we are fully committed to God. And then finally, if we fully commit to God, like Abel, we can become part of God's story and of his redemptive purposes. You see, Abel died... His commitment did cost him his life. But his death points to Christ's death. Of which Hebrews says, pointing back to Abel, his blood speaks a better thing than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel, even though his life was cut short, he had the privilege of dying in such a way that he could point to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. And only if we fully commit to God and are willing to lay down our lives for Him can we become part of His story and so point. Our, our marriages can point. Our, our, our families can point. Our work can point. Our lives can point. Even our deaths ultimately can point to Jesus and to His gospel. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.